0: Sing Two only in theatres. I don't know if you guys have seen Sing Two. That's a good, good movie, good, uh, good few laughs and that was just a little promo clip for it but you might have recognised that song, right? Christmas, baby please come home. Does anyone recognise that or has they heard that in the shops? No? Okay good, maybe. Well it's been made famous by Mariah Carey and Michael Buble uh, seem to be like kind of the two big Christmas singers. But a bunch of other artists and other bands have uh, sung the song. You 2 John Bon Jovi, Cher, Shania Twain, even the Foo Fighters and The Offspring, if you're into them, they've done a couple of versions, which you'll note I didn't choose to play in church. But the original song was recorded by a lady called Darlene Love back in 1963. And in the last 60 years, it's had huge commercial success. In fact, Rolling Stone magazine listed that song as the number one greatest rock and roll Christmas song of all time. Now, you may debate that. You might find that there's others that should be at the top of that list. But, you anyway, know, it's an interesting song. And if you listen to the lyrics properly, which we didn't do all of that in that video, but the singer is just really hoping that their loved one will come home for Christmas. They are seeing all this Christmas cheer around, they're hearing the bells, they're seeing the lights and the laughter, but they're just it's just not the same without their loved one. They desperately want their loved one to come home for Christmas. That's what the song is about. And I think the song really captures an underlying belief in our culture that people should be home for Christmas. And, and you probably know this from your own experience, perhaps over the years you've had a phone call from your parents just kind of wondering what you're doing at Christmas time or maybe you've had a text from your relatives inviting you to come and celebrate and share with your extended family at Christmas time. So look, I think that's good. I think it's really, really good. I think it's important for people to have the option to not be alone at Christmas and if people can have the chance to be at home for Christmas, I think that's really good. But it raises a really important question Where is is home? So, I'm going to do a little experiment. hope it's okay with you, but uh, I'm going to ask you, no pressure, so you don't have to, but I'd like you to close your eyes and in your mind's eye, go home. Picture where home is for you. Okay, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Okay, that's really good. I didn't think you'd do it, so that was awesome. So, All you got to do, is show our hands, and the place that you pictured in your mind's eye, home for you, was home, the the city or town that you were born. Did anybody go there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, f- was home for you the neighbourhood that you were kind of raised up in as a kid? No one. Okay. That's that's all right. Cool. Was um, home for you the house where you had some formative years, perhaps as a child or perhaps as a teenager? That was a formative place for you. That was your home. Was home the house that you've that you've made your own, whether you put renovations into it or whether you raised your own family, your own children there? Was that home for you? Okay. Was home a caravan or, or a holiday house or, or a tent? I mean, not necessarily the place that you would live permanently, but certainly a place that you've had some very special memories. So... Most of us would think that home is probably, I'm guessing here, a place. That's a geographic location, a physical a physical spot where you feel comfortable, we have had some experiences which have had some history and that have kind of shaped who you are. But I think that home is actually more than a place. I think that home can also include people. And and home is really the place where you are comfortable with your people, so you know this is true because at Christmas time if you've got kids, particularly if they've grown up and they live out of town, what do they do when they get to your place? Some of the first things that they do, they seem to go through this unspoken checklist, right? They turn up, they drop their bags at the door, and they go straight to the fridge, (laughs) and they find something to eat and drink, and then they go and check that their bedroom has not been changed by you in the time that they've been away. And then they park up on the couch and turn on the TV, right? And it's like they've never left. <laughs> but I think it's nice because it's comfortable for them. They, they see their home as their place with their people, and, and that's, that's a good thing. So I think essentially home is about having a place, and it's about having a people. But what if what if I said to you that home is more than a place and a people, that that our version of home is really just a foreshadowing of a much bigger and a much better reality. So let me explain that this morning by highlighting some details from the first Christmas story. If you've got a Bible or on your phone, I'd love you to open it or swipe there or whatever to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to just dive into some of the details of that very first Christmas story. I'm going to get straight into it. We'll start reading Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man, uh, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, "Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you." Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Now, this is a pretty amazing encounter, right? You're probably familiar with this part of the Christmas story. 2,000 years ago, this young woman called Mary is living in a village called Nazareth in the region of Galilee in the province of Judea. Now, let me just give you a little bit of geographic background here. So, uh, Judea is like a backwater of the Roman Empire. It's a tiny part um, of the vast Roman Empire in the first century. And Galilee, if we can zoom in, is a low-level district in that area. And the village of Nazareth is just a dot on the map. So archaeologists have estimated that in the first century, uh, Nazareth had a resident population of about 500 people. Okay, pretty pretty small, very, very um, small space and and kind of to the point where it was ridiculed a little bit. You know, um, it was commonly believed that nothing good could ever come out of Nazareth because it was one of those backwater, you know, uh, kind of country bumpkin type of places. But regardless, Nazareth is Mary's home. And so after the angel tells her this mind-blowing message. Mary travels to visit Elizabeth to see for herself if what the angel said was true. And she finds out that Elizabeth is pregnant. And so this miracle has happened. Elizabeth is pregnant. And then if you read the next part of the chapter, Mary sings this wonderful song, just praising God about all the things that have happened. And then she stays with Elizabeth for three months. And then she returns home to Nazareth. Okay. But, if you are familiar with the Christmas story, you'll know that Jesus was not born in Nazareth. Where was he born? Oh, I'll give you a clue. Bethlehem, alright. You know, he was born in Bethlehem. Now, Mary and Joseph did not go to Bethlehem because it had better facilities, because the hospital was bigger, because there was plenty of midwives there. no. According to the record, Mary and her fiancé Joseph, they had to return to his ancestral town to register for a Roman census. And I think there's a, a detail that we tend to kind of skip over, that Jesus was not born in, his, in the hometown of his parents. He was born far from home. And you could almost argue, in one sense, when Jesus entered the world, he was, he was technically homeless, Mary and Joseph, they're in this unfamiliar place, they're surrounded by distant relatives who they didn't really know, and they're away from all the comforts and the conveniences of their hometown. Now, put your hand up if you've ever been to the birth of a child. Why have you not all put your hand up? Okay, I've been to three births, two of them I can remember, the first one I'm a little hazy on, but um, anyway. What I remember is that you want to try and make the birth as comfortable as possible for the mother and the child, right? You want to just be such a, 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 an easy, familiar surroundings because what she's going through is really, really tough. And Mary is miles away from her own house. She's miles away from her hometown. She's miles away from the people that she knows. It's got to be hugely challenging, a really difficult experience for these new parents and, and their baby boy. But the challenges of that birth and the stress of being far from home are actually nothing compared to what happens in the following months. So according to Matthew chapter 2, he's another biographer of Jesus, he records the visits of the wise men from the east to this newborn baby. They arrive in Bethlehem, they come to worship Jesus, they've seen the star, they know it's a sign that the king of the Jews is to be born. Now, this is where some political background is kind of helpful. Because the province of Judea was ruled by a guy called King Herod, and he was not really a king. He actually had no ancestral claim to, to the throne, and he was super paranoid. He was really suspicious that there were always potential rivals who were trying to overthrow uh, him. So actually, during his reign, he had his first wife and three of his sons executed, because he felt thought they were going to try and take him over. So so that meant that Caesar Augustus, the leader of the Roman Empire at the time, he quipped that it was safer to be a pig in Herod's household than his son. You know, The animals had more chance of surviving than his own family. This is how ruthless Herod is. He's a ruthless ruler. And when he learns that there is a potential rival who is being born in Bethlehem, he is furious. This is what we read. Herod was furious. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's reports of the star's first appearance. So all of a sudden, this new young family, they're facing another challenge. Not only is it awkward being away from their hometown and and staying with relatives when you've got a newborn, but now there's this hit squad of soldiers sent to kill your son. It's not exciting situation to be in. But God intervenes. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. That is a wild ride, isn't it? I don't know if Mary and Joseph kind of thought that was what they were signing up for, but regardless, now Joseph and Mary and Jesus, not only are they far from home, but they're fleeing to a foreign country. They are literally refugees. And I think this is the gritty reality that's missing from our Instagram Christmas feeds or or, or our nativity postcard Christmas cards. You know, a modern Christmas season is, is highly sanitized, but the first Christmas was difficult and it was dangerous. The Holy Family is, they're on the run. They're living away from where they would rather be. And perhaps you've experienced a similar feeling at Christmas. I am mean, probably not. I mean, I don't know, but you probably haven't been on the run. You probably haven't been a refugee flowing to an, another country. You might have been, I don't know. But chances are you've been... Uh, in a place where circumstances have changed, where your plans haven't quite worked out, where, where Christmas has ended up for you being far from home, away from where you'd rather be. You've been distant and detached from your place and your people. And if you have felt like that, let me remind you that Jesus knows what that's like. He stepped out from eternity, he entered our world, and he was effectively homeless. He was born into unfamiliar surroundings, miles away from his hometown. And so for the first three years of his life, Jesus was a refugee, displaced from his people, living in a foreign land on the fringe, never really fitting in, far, far from home. I think that's helpful to remember that when we feel that we're far from home, when we feel we're on the fringe or when we're not quite fitting in. And you know what that's like if you've moved to a different town It takes time to get connected. It takes time to build those relationships, those friendships, to establish some roots. And if you have uh, recently landed in the region here in central Otago, I would really encourage you to get plugged into a church, plugged into this church. Uh, We just love having people journey with us. We're, We're certainly not perfect, far from it. But we just want to have you on the team and be encouraged and, and hopefully, you know, play your part. And there's study groups, we've got ministries, opportunities to volunteer and serve. They all help you find your place and your people. But there's also a time, some often in our lives, where, where we feel like even with all that stuff, we're never really truly at home. And I'm not talking about when you're, when you're feeling like you're on the fringe and you're new to town or where you're don't fitting in with your extended family at Christmas. I'm talking about something much, much deeper. A longing and aching to truly find your place in your people. And this is beyond the physical, the geographic. This is at a deep spiritual level. And you can kind of see a a hint of this by what we do when, when we stay overnight at a place. Maybe you've gone to a motel, or at a holiday home, or Airbnb, What are some of the first things you do? You put your food into the fridge. You you rearrange the furniture a little bit, just shuffle the chairs. Maybe set the angle of the TV. Maybe adjust the blinds. Maybe even put your toothbrush in the toothbrush holder. I don't know. But all those things are actually an attempt just to make that place fit us. It's unfamiliar, so we try to make it familiar. We try to rearrange and adjust things. It's not our home, but we try to make it feel like our home. And I think that feeling is actually refre- reflected uh, in, in our everyday lives. People try to rearrange and adjust things to make it, make it fit. That's why so many people believe that if they, they get a big house, or if they get a well-paying job, or if they get a flash car, or if they get more stamps on their passport, or if they have a balanced investment portfolio, then they will feel like they're at home. But, you know, that stuff is just a, an empty attempt to cover over the deep dislocation, the deep displacement we feel. It's just masking that spiritual homelessness of the human heart. And you know, this is a feeling that people have wrestled with for, for thousands of years. So philosophers, poets, artists, authors, singers, uh, scientists, many of them have explored some of the deep homelessness that people feel. One of them was this guy, Karl Marx. You might know him as uh, the father of communism. I mean, he was well known for that. Also well known for having a splendid beard, by the way. Could have been doubled as centre. But he wrote about this feeling of homelessness, of displacement that people have. He called it alienation. And he wrote this, each man is alienated from others. Each of the others is likewise alienated from human life. And so Marx and a a whole bunch of other thinkers would recognize this, this dislocation in the human heart, that at the depths of our being, often we feel like we are far from home. And there's a reason for that. The reason is our own rebellion. So according to the Bible, God created the world at the beginning of human history, and he made a home for the first people. He called it the Garden of Eden. It was a place of perfection and purpose, a place where people could truly interact with God and each other. But then if you flick into a few pages into the story, you'll see that those people rebelled against God. They rejected the home that he had created and instead chose to be masters of our own destiny. And we've been doing that ever since. And we've been rejecting God's good plans and his purposes, and that's meant that humanity has been alienated, dislocated from our true home with God. But the birth of Jesus flipped the script on that. Suddenly God was no longer distant. He was right here. He was wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And as a grown man, Jesus began his ministry and he gave us a glimpse into the heart of God. He healed the sick and he fed the hungry. He looked out for the lost, the last, the least, and the lonely. And he showed us a better way to live. He showed us how to live in tune with God's plans and his purposes. But I I don't want you to think that Jesus was just a nice guy who cared for people. Because through his work and his witness, he was doing something much greater, much, much grander. Jesus was inviting us to find our true home. Look at what he said to his followers. In the midst of significant stresses and struggles, he said this, Don't be worried. Have faith in God and have faith in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I'm going there to prepare a place for each of you. Jesus came to reveal our true home, to show us the people and the place where we could ultimately satisfy that sense of spiritual homelessness. One of his first followers uh, captured this truth really well in the letter to the Hebrews. He wrote, This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. I don't know about you, maybe, maybe you're struggling with a deep sense of spiritual homelessness. Despite all those attempts to, to rearrange and adjust your life, you've just got this nagging feeling deep down that you don't quite fit, that, that you are made for more. And I want to encourage you to find your home in Jesus. Think about it like this. He has, he's paid the mortgage. He's prepared your room. He's opened the door for you. All you need to do is accept his invitation. All you need to do to do that is to humble yourself before God, to admit your faults, your failings, and to trust Jesus with all your life. And if, if you want to do that, if you want to find out more about that, talk to myself, talk to someone wearing a blue tag, talk to our prayer team in the corner after church. We would just love to chat with you. But if you have committed your life to Jesus, if you're trying to trust him every day, let me remind you that your real home is with him. Jesus knows what the stresses and the struggles of this life are like. I mean, think about it. He was as a baby he was homeless. As a toddler he was a refugee and as an adult he lived his life on the road from place to place. In fact, he said once, "Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests." But the Spirit of the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. Jesus knows that at times we feel dislocated. we feel detached, we feel displaced, but they are just symptoms that the world that we live in is not our home. And so wherever you are this Christmas, whether you are at home, whether you are far away, whether you are with people, whether you are alone, can I encourage you to remember? that you have an ultimate home. You have a place that's being prepared for you. You have people, uh, you have a place with God and his people. And there is this deep sense of spiritual longing that can be satisfied when you find your true home with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that we can find our true home in you. And if we are feeling dislocated or displaced, if we're feeling far from home this Christmas season, maybe just remember those challenges of that first Christmas. Joseph, Mary, Jesus were homeless. They were living as refugees. And may we be reminded that you are preparing a true home for us, that we have a place, we have a people uh, for those who trust in you. May we trust in you, Jesus, this week as we look ahead to that home that you are preparing for us. In your name, amen. I'm going to invite the band up. And um, just as we do that, just before we sing our, our last song, I just thought I'd highlight that the author of Hebrews, he recognizes that actually this world is not our home. And, and he says that even while it's not our home, there's still some things that we can do to make our time here worthwhile, make the most of our earthly home. And part of that is praise and worship. So we're going to sing a song Uh, called Here I Am to Worship. It's just about honouring God for who he is and what he does. This is why Hebrews, uh, the author writes, Therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. So we're going to stand and do that together. Thanks.